Hi, FreshEd listeners. My name is Matthew Thomas, and I'm a lecturer at the University of Glasgow, and I research pedagogy. Most recently, I've been really interested in how podcasts are used in higher education, teaching, and learning. And as many of us know, the pandemic really turbocharged the role of podcasts. But in reality, there's actually very little empirical data to help us understand the vast experiences of us as teachers and students, and perhaps members of the general public, in how we use and experience podcasts. So together with a small research team, I'm trying to help fill this knowledge gap with a new survey that I think would be of interest to many Fresh Ed listeners. The survey only takes about 15 minutes to complete, so we'd invite you to head on over to freshedpodcast.com survey to indeed take the survey. You can also find a link in the show notes if you're interested. Thank you so much for your support, and now on with today's episode. This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today, we continue our mini-series called The Fresh Ed Questionnaire. I've been asking guests a set of standard questions after each interview. These questions focus on how guests approach writing, reading, research, and supervision. These are the day-to-day activities we do inside universities, but we don't talk about them too much. I want to talk about them to highlight the many different approaches different academics take. Today's episode focuses on supervision. I asked guests to describe their preferred method of supervision for master's or PhD students. Here's what they had to say. So I'm Professor Susan Robertson and I'm Professor of Sociology of Education and also the co-editor-in-chief of Globalization Societies and Education. My preferred supervision method is to work very hard to try and understand each individual student who I'd always describe very much as a kind of having their own unique fingerprints. And over the many supervisions that I've done, which uh, total up, this is completions, doctoral level, um, I'm not including masters, it's between at least 60 to 70. Well, it's very close, much closer to 70. And it's to try and see the project as a project, though it's the person's project, but essentially to actually engage with the person's project as a person that walks alongside that individual. So when the going gets tough, for example, to be able to say, you know, what if we thought of it this way is amazingly assuring to individuals who in that moment are really struggling and to be told you go off and think about it or you go off and figure it out that kind of thing is often quite counterproductive so my preferred style essentially is to see it as a journey that a person basically it's their thesis they're navigating it they've got the questions in their head but it's a journey that I would walk alongside them as a a wise guide where and how I can actually facilitate that journey along and what I would want out of that is a sense of the individual when they complete that journey actually they got more than they ever thought they could from this themselves that is their achievements their capacity to stretch themselves to be a different person in many senses is what I think is the most amazing part of that journey. My name is Jamie Martin. I'm an assistant professor of history and social studies at Harvard University. 
I would say that in my supervision, I try to focus on two broad kind of aims. One is to encourage students to find topics that they're very passionate about, that interest them deeply, and to also encourage them to develop ways of communicating that passion in terms that other people will get excited about too, in, in terms that speak to the disciplinary demands and interests of their field, and that might also communicate clearly to a broader audience as well. I'm Crystal Strong. I'm an assistant professor of Black Studies and Education at Rutgers University. Two things come to mind when I think about how I approach supervision. One, I'm really interested in supporting my students in doing what they want to do. I think sometimes supervision can feel like it's about sort of reproducing yourself, but I'm very, very interested and curious about what someone wants to do with themselves, what they understand their purpose is, and trying to nurture that as best as I can. The other thing that's become very important for me in terms of my supervision style is collaboration. I have developed a number of projects over the years, and I always think about how I'm creating space for my students, but also, you know, community members to participate and be a part of that work. And that has been very meaningful for deepening my relationships with my students students, but also sort of learning by doing and supervising by doing. And it's been an incredibly just meaningful praxis in terms of developing those relationships and kind of imparting and learning together. I'm Junior Bloom. I'm a lecturer in sociology at California State University in Los Angeles. So I tend to be a little bit more hands-off with my students in the sense that I don't send weekly emails checking on their progress because I know that my students have a lot on their plates, be it school, be it caregiving, be it outside work. So what I let them do is I tell them pretty early on, I'm here when you need me. Here's my email. I usually will use a Google number so so they can reach me that way or they can reach me through. I use Remind app Mm. a lot, but I give them different ways to contact me. But I tell them, look, I trust you to do the work. I know that there are going to be parts that are going to be tough for you because that's the nature of research. We come up with a plan and then find out that reality doesn't really mesh with it. And so when that happens or if you get frustrated or if you want to tell me what you're finding or if you're not finding and you're feeling frustrated, you need to then, here's how you can reach me and we'll set up a meeting. We'll talk. My name is You Yun and You is my family name. So I'd prefer to be called in that way. And I'm now associate professor in the Department of Education at China Normal University. Okay, so I'd like to have this combination of reading club, group supervision, and individual supervision. So students may learn from each other by actively engaging other students' work and sharing, and also from the feedback that supervisor provides for each. And then the individual supervision can be more specific and tailored. I'm Ezequiel Gomez Caride. I'm working at the University of San Andres in Argentina. I am assistant professor. When I have a, a new student, my goal is helping the student to try to move because they always came with a, a question about what they would like to research. I perceive my goal as trying to somehow move that question to make it somehow researchable. To trying to say, well, this is your question and I respect your question, but let's think how we go through this question in a kind of academic way, in a scientific way, without kind of leaving the, the question behind, but somehow trying to make that th- this is a question that can be answered through the research. Because some questions are, are, are wonderful questions, but they are not research questions. So I somehow I perceive my role as this kind of moving this initial question, motivation, 
and trying to transform it into a, a research question, research process. So Ulla Johansson Ford, I'm at the Institute of Education at the University of the South Pacific. My method for mentoring, I think it's twofold. On the one level is trying to have time for talano, which is conversations, and that's making sure that there is a, a relationship, there is a, a connection between myself and my, my student or whoever it is that I'm, I'm mentoring. Because so much of that is about that relationship. It's a relationship that you nurture. It's a relationship that you guide through. It's something in our part of the world. It's not usually something that is only for a defined period of time. You're actually investing in this person because you see the future in this person. And you're investing, giving back to them because you yourself got something from somebody else. So it's also a gift of giving to the next generation. And so you're investing in them because that's our future. Um, and that's the, the whole idea behind my approach to it. The second part that I take for this is based on my own experience of being mentored. And in the Pacific, one of the ways we teach children to swim is to push them into the deep end. So... In my way of being supervised in the past, I got pushed into the deep end and say, swim, Seula, and we'll come and rescue you when you see that you're struggling. But I think to some extent, that still remains with me, with my students. I'll keep pushing them and then I'll come and get them and then push them again because we, we want them to be, to be strong. We want them to be, uh, to be stronger than because the challenges that lays ahead of us requires them to be strong. I'm Lachlan McNamee. I'm an assistant professor of political science at UCLA and a lecturer of politics at Monash University. My preferred method of being supervised was to have regular meetings with um, a wide range of advisors, including advisors not from my discipline, and have them comment on a new piece of writing. And that could only just be a page or two, but some idea that could be a basis for discussion. As soon as I had something to kind of talk about with my advisor, having a meeting kind of kept me accountable as well as it provided a grounding for discussions. Hello, my name is Alison Milner and I'm an assistant professor at Aalborg University in Denmark. What I would say is having been supervised as a PhD student, what I have tried to do is take the best of the things that I learned from my supervisors. It's a long process, the PhD, is it not? And, you know, I think very key to the PhD supervision is trying to maintain positive relations throughout. And, and that can be complex because it's a very stressful period, lots of anxiety. So I'm not actually a PhD supervisor yet, but I do supervise students on problem-based learning projects, which is at undergraduate level and master's level. So it's a similar kind of procedure that goes on there. And um, very much part of that is giving agency to the learners, allowing them to direct their own learning through the process, trying to steer them away from going off course too badly and go down any rabbit holes. That's the one thing I would say I took from my own PhD is don't send yourself down a rabbit hole. Uh, I am Aizuddin Mohamed Anwar and I am a lecturer in education at Keele University in the UK. So in terms of supervision, I actually prefer somewhere in between kind of the approach where people are telling you what to do and the kind of do whatever you want. So somewhere finding a balance in between is very important for me. I do feel like in my own sort of supervisory experience, being supervised for my PhD, I've had the opportunity to sort of follow my own interests in terms of where I want the work to go, but then also to 
be guided in a sense of, you know, given some suggestions or some um, options in terms of whether or not, you know, some roads are more fruitful than others. And, and, and having that, that guidance, I feel is very important. Kehalani Vaughn, um, assistant professor of Pacific Island Education and Education, Culture, Society at the University of Utah. So I love to talk about mentoring as I just did in the previous episode in terms of really trying to figure out how I can assist students in finding out what their passion is. Also like utilizing their gifts, as I said, in terms of creating either research or creating art, creating social media, because Nowadays, we find different modalities as actually having more of a reach than the dissertation projects. And so like thinking about different modalities, but also thinking about the ways in which you approach research in the first place. So what is your methodology? What is your protocol? Who are you thinking about? Are you asking the questions that need to be asked? Are you consulting and not just coming in thinking that you kind of know better than the community itself? but working with the community. So I would say that I am like more of a cheerleader in terms of mentoring because oftentimes um, being in higher ed is very isolating and could leave you feeling disempowered. And I think that's strategic. It's been a tradition in higher ed to create these divisions and hierarchies and systems of power. And so for me, it's about creating that space and creating that relationship with students where they know they have someone that they can go to hopefully be themselves, but also really talk through, you know, what they're interested in and feeling empowered and uh, reminding them of their resilience in these places. My name is Duran Wallace. I'm an assistant professor of sociology and education at Brandeis University and a research fellow at the Center on the Dynamics of Ethnicity at the University of Manchester in England. My supervision method is for an international audience, we can they call it your doctoral advising method. It's I operate on a high trust culture, right? I, I, I don't like the language supervisor. <laughs> I find it to be too colonial. I also don't like the idea of sort of I like to think of my doctoral students and my master students and my undergraduate students as, you know, interlocutors. We're working together, right? We're we're thinking together, learning together. And yes, I'm more experienced and I may have some directions to, to share, but I learn a tremendous amount. And I find that I can be a better teacher, a better supervisor, a better advisor that's the language I prefer when I am open to learning that my te- my students have much to teach me too. that is the model I prefer right and it's what I practice I'm Sharon Walker I'm a lecturer in racial justice and education at the University of Bristol in the UK and my absolute ideal is to have a very small group of students sounds like a big arts but a very small group of students the reason being is that I prefer that simply because I think that supervision is based on relationship or the kind of exchange and discussion of ideas and knowledge is based on relationship and you can only really build that up if students are working in small groups together so that's my preferred um, very simple thing but yeah, not to be taken for granted, I don't think. My name is Ian M. Cook. I am the Director of Studies of OLIVE, which is the Open Learning Initiative, which is based at the Central European University in Budapest, Hungary. Well, I don't supervise students who are in undergraduate or in master's programs. I supervise students who are in informal education. And my I supervise them in my role as director of studies. So often that's helping them find what they want to do in life and helping them do that. So I think a lot of the that type of supervision 
is helping people find the good balance between desire and realism. Michelle Schweisberg, Professor of Comparative and International Education at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. I like to start the kind of supervisory relationship with a discussion about how we're going to work. So I don't have a kind of monolithic approach that I use with, with every student. But more often than not, I find that it's helpful to respond to a piece of writing because in the end, everyone's got to write a thesis. And so often supervisory meetings are, are structured around discussion of a piece of draft writing that the student has sent in advance. But different students also need support in different ways. And I try to respond to that. But that sort of rhythm of monthly meetings, more or less, with some substantial piece of writing submitted beforehand, and then a, you know, a really good discussion about what led to that piece of writing, how it could be improved, how it fits into the wider thesis. Uh, Michael Crossley, uh, Professor of Comparative and International Education at the University of Bristol in the UK. One-to-one supervision in somewhat of a traditional way, but with doctoral students then working with me, working together in related buddy groups. And that comes from long-time experience. I directed the um, PhD and the EdD programs at Bristol for over a decade, and that combined model evolved over time. Janelle Scott, I'm a professor at UC Berkeley. Method of supervision is such that I try to encourage students to ask well, first of all, to lean into their curiosity, to take that curiosity and find out who else has had similar curiosities and how they've taken them up, uh, what they found. And then I really push them to find and develop really good questions that align with not only their curiosities, but what they already know. And then I work very hard with them to try and identify their voice, encourage them to understand that there will be bumps along the way and that the bumps are to be expected and normal and have nothing to do with one's ability, but rather the difficulty of the work, um, especially if you're asking difficult questions or pushing on um, traditional ways of knowing. And then I just try and be a wonderful passenger along their intellectual ride. I'm Michael Rumbelow and I'm a PhD student at uh, University of Bristol School of Education. Yeah, in terms of supervision, I've not experienced a wide variety of methods. But the ones that I've appreciated is quite light touch, regular, doesn't have to be a great length of contact with the with the supervisor and really just uh, intermittent sort of nudges in good directions for me. So I think um, uh, supervisors who tend to listen and step back a little bit, I find that uh, really quite quite liberating and, um, and motivating myself. My name is Monisha Bajaj. I'm a professor of international and multicultural education at the University of San Francisco. So where I work at the University of San Francisco, I work with a lot of first-generation students and also students who are not first-generation. It's a real mix in our programs. We have master's students and doctoral students. And I really try to think about differentiated mentorship based on people who may want to, you know, work in educational practice, people who want to go into the academy. I try to understand what people's goals are and mentor them according to what their goals are and also push back. So for example, I'm thinking of one of my students who's first-gen 
who's um, just finished her doctorate. And when she came in, didn't really think that she could publish anything or really offer anything. And reading her papers, I mean, her work is stellar. And I really pushed back on some of that imposter syndrome and the ways that she didn't feel like she had anything to say. So building up that confidence and giving her opportunities to really, you know, I'll read a draft and let's submit it to this journal. And, you know, we we're just looking at, you know, she's published now three things and she just finished her doctorate and, you know, really thinking about where that mentorship needs to be more aggressive and challenging some of the received limitations that students have felt and also supporting students who may be overconfident and want to send out everything they write to a journal, you know, being realistic with them and say, you know, here's what's new for an article and how can I support you in doing that? And really thinking about collaboration, whether that's, you know, helping give feedback or, you know, co-authoring or working with students. We run a journal out of the University of San Francisco, the International Journal of Human Rights Education, and we try to provide opportunities for students to be involved in the editorial process, doing book reviews, sometimes if their work, you know, after they've done their dissertations or their theses, publishing their work, and also facilitating professional connections, encouraging students to go to conferences, going with them, um, being on panels with them, facilitating introductions to other people that they could be networked with. That's how I try to approach mentorship in ways that both reproducing what I liked in my graduate training and filling in some of the gaps that I saw there as well of what I would have liked to have. I try to do that with my students. My name is Mirabdullah Miri. I'm an educational researcher now in the UK. I was a faculty member, a researcher, and a trainer in Afghanistan, but I had to leave Afghanistan after the collapse of the government in Afghanistan after the government fell off to the Taliban. I prefer one-on-one supervision method because I think it provides a, a chance to look at the work more in detail and exchange more ideas. But I also think that uh, supervision as a group would be beneficial, but I would prefer one-on-one conferencing, one-on-one supervision. I'm Natasha Wariku, and I am Stern Professor in the Social Sciences in the Department of Sociology at Tufts University. So I'll talk about how I advise uh, undergraduate students. So it's interesting that I use the word advise versus supervise. Partly that's a culture, that's a language thing in the U.S. We tend to say advising. But I, you know, when I was thinking about this question, I realized that I also like the word advise because I kind of leave more to the student to say, well, what do you need? What my job is not to sort of police you and to tell you what to do and what not to do, but to say, you know, to to guide you and like, well, what are your goals and how can I how can we help you meet those goals? What are you trying to do? You know, what, what are the best classes? How do we think about the future? But I really sort of leave it to students to come to me because I find forcing students to sort of say like, okay, come and tell me, you know, what your future plans are. It's like, if they're not ready, they're not ready. And again, you know, this is a a particular age, right? They're so young and just trying to figure out their place in the world and so much else going on in their lives. So I'm Greg Scutches. I am director of writing across curriculum at Lehigh University. So could you please describe the supervision method you prefer? Yeah, so I would say establish that you have a common purpose, that you're rowing together, right? Okay, so I think it's important that the student understand the context, understand the objective, understand the tools available, and there's buy-in there, and then you're just there kind of working together. I mean, there's always going to be a power dynamic. It's hard to work, but it undercuts that feeling. So the student feels like, yeah, this is a meaningful project, and I have agency, and I have, you know, so I'm in, basically. My name is Francine Menashe, and I'm an associate professor at OISE at the University of Toronto. 
I just believe in a lot of communication. I try to be as approachable and open as possible with my students. I tell them to email me if they've run into a roadblock. Don't hesitate to contact me if they just need to talk through something. Uh, I think it works really well when you have frequent, very organic communication with your students and things tend to fall apart when they go away and you don't hear from them for a really long time. My name is Prem Kumar Racharam. I work at the Central European University. Um, it centers really on trying to be available for them, for my students, um, trying to give them the confidence that what they know and how they know and what they're interested in is valuable and important. Hi, I'm Zina Zacharia, and I'm an assistant professor at the University of Maryland in College Park. My method of supervision is inspired by the mentorship I received, which is to take care of the work and the person. So I'm uh, Dr. Jürgen Emlin. Uh, I'm an assistant professor at the University of Hong Kong and an honorary fellow at uh, Deakin University of Australia. Extremely flexible. Being born and raised in Finland, I don't care about what my supervision is. Whatever my students need, I can provide them. Weekly reports. That's some, something that students in Hong Kong seem to enjoy once in a while. All right, if that helps you, do it. No repose at all. Wherever, whenever you need to, as long as your job gets done, do that. Be as flexible as needed. My name is um, Mario Novelli. I'm a professor in the political economy of education at the University of Sussex in the UK. I think that my aim as a supervisor is not to produce clones of myself. I'm very conscious of the kind of power inequality between supervisor and supervisee and want to kind of reassure the student that it's their project and they can go in whatever direction they want and that I'm there as a kind of critical friend, somebody that's been down that road already and hopefully can support them in that journey and give some ideas. And I guess, and again, you know, I was fortunate that my own supervisors, uh, Susan Robertson, Roger Dale, were good models for this idea that you can model being a good academic. And that, I think what that means is a kind of, that the process of supervision is a kind of apprenticeship. It doesn't just take place in that room for one hour every month, as our schedule is in, in this. It takes place in your reading groups. It takes place in the way that you conduct yourself. And that one hopes that by the end of the period of PhD registration, that the person doesn't just have a PhD, but they also have an ethics and an attitude around the way that they should operate inside a space of the university and ties in the intellectual community and hopefully also that they have not only their PhD but also some publications, some experience of teaching, some experience of working on research projects. So you try to offer students, not always possible, a range of experiences that hopefully provide the foundation for their future career. My name is Judith Landeros. I am a PhD candidate at the University of Texas at Austin studying curriculum instruction in the Cultural Studies and Education program. 
communication, like a relationship, right? Like I think relationships are key and central to everything. So having a relationship where there's like respect, right? Reciprocity, you know, that there's a sense of responsibility from, you know, both ends and accountability. Um, and just, you know, knowing that at the end of the day, the relationship in itself spe speaks for, you know, everything. My name is Luis Urrieta, and I'm a professor of cultural studies of education in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction at the University of Texas at Austin. I'm a little uncomfortable with the term supervision. I feel like I try to disrupt the hierarchies. I try to let my students know me as a person, and I um, suggest things. I ad give advice on things, but I never tell a student, you have to do this or you have to do that. So I want them to see me as a human being. My name is Nazmi Anwar. I teach architecture in uh, Taylor's University in KL. I do supervise architectural thesis projects. And the way that I tend to supervise is I tend to have a conversation uh, with them rather than telling them what to do, but trying to understand what is it that they're doing and then you know, working along with them. And I think in finding a supervisor for my own thing, I felt that it was important to find someone like that, someone who's, of course, knowledgeable in terms of methods, in terms of structure, in terms of how it's done, but who's able to kind of a genuine conversation with uh, with my interest. So I, I feel that being able to converse uh, rather than... Because I think at graduate level, you're no longer being taught, right? You're, you're discovering things as you go along. And I feel that as a supervisor or for a, you know, for my own supervisor, I feel that it's important to have someone who serves as a guide, who serves as a someone who you can have a continuous conversation with. A transcript of today's interview can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Fresh Ed, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. Fresh Ed's team includes Fatih Oktas, Oba Femi Ngunle, Annabella Afroboteng, Phyllis Chain Mensa, and Jose Neto. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Fresh Ed is an independently run podcast without advertisements and is made possible by the support of NORAG, the Shaktab Family Fund, and listeners like you. Please consider donating to Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash donate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.